Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Chris Terracone. Season 8 of Jury Duty explores the trial of Alex Murdoch, a member of one of the most powerful families in South Carolina, who is accused of murdering his son Paul and his wife Maggie, with the purpose of covering up a multitude of alleged crimes including fraud and homicide. In our last episode, we concluded our review of the testimony of Natasha Moody, an employee of Bank of America, and began our look at the examination of Jamie Hall, an evidence custodian. In this installment, we conclude our review of Ms. Hall's testimony and bring to a close our coverage of Day 9 of the trial. That's all coming up right after the break. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It is the late afternoon of February 6th, 2023, day 9 of the trial of Alex Murdoch. As we concluded our last episode, Prosecutor John Metters questioned evidence custodian Jamie Hall about multiple articles of clothing collected from Alex Murdoch after the murders of his son Paul and his wife Maggie. As we begin today, Prosecutor Metters hands Ms. Hall another evidence box and asks Ms. Hall to open it. Would you mind opening it up for it? First of all, do you, do you know whether or not you examined a pair of shoes in this case? I did, and these are the shoes sled item number 21. Okay. Would you please open that for the ladies and gentlemen? After the box is open, Metters retrieves a large plastic bag from it and asks Ms. Hall to open that as well. The witness puts on a pair of latex gloves, withdraws an object wrapped in paper, and begins to undo the tape sealing the paper wrapping. Before you cut that, do you see J-E-H on here? Uh, yes, sir, I do. On 6821, I signed my name. Metters indicates dirt and grass on the wrapping. What is all that right there? Uh, I believe it's yard debris. Ms. Hall retrieves two yellow and red sneakers from within the bag. Metters holds them up as the witness describes her process of examining the shoes as evidence. Can you show these to the jury? Sir. Um, so with shoes, when we collect from them, we're going to collect again to the area that would be closest to the discharge of the firearm, so the front of the shoe. So in this case, I would do the area where the laces would typically be and the front toe. Depending on how well the adhesive continues, it will depend on how far back I go, but I start with the toe and then work my area down the sides. Is this the condition they were when you saw them on June 8th, 2021? There was more grassy type material on them when I had them. And, and what I just dumped in the trash can with the court's permission and... and in here, did you indicate on your comment section yes. whether or not yard debris was present? Yes, sir. I commented that shoes were wet with yard debris present. Wet with yard debris? Yes, sir. Did you, on June 8th now, go back in your mind, mm -hmm. when you saw these, in addition to wet and yard debris, did you make any other notes in the comment section about those shoes? I did not. Do you remember, did you see anything that looked like blood? I did not make any note of that, no, sir. With your naked eye? No, sir. Top or bottom? No, sir. Metters removes the evidence box and bag from the witness stand. He reapproaches Ms. Hall and refers to the evidence logs before her as he poses his next questions. 
Did you have any other items that you examined that, that were presented to you for examination either by yourself or with Megan Fletcher? Yes, sir. What was that? It was sled item number 173, and it was, uh, we described it as one blue rain jacket slash poncho. When did you examine the poncho? Uh, I believe we began on October 5th, 2021. So is it fair to say that the clothes, the shirt, the pants, and the shoes were on uh, um, June 8th of 2021? Yes, sir, that's correct, June 8th of 2021. And I didn't ask you this, and I apologize. When, you, when did you examine the uh, belt, the seat belt? The seat belt was examined on September 1st, 2021. And uh, again, the specific date for the raincoat was what? Uh, October 5th, 2021. Tell the ladies and gentlemen, take us to the lab now. How did you examine that garment, the rain jacket? Uh, this was also not our typical garment, and I believe there was some information provided um, from investigations. So everything I did in this case was at the direct, or in this, for this particular item, was at the direct supervision of Megan Fletcher. She essentially told me where she would like me to collect, and she documented everything on the note sheet while I physically collected the particle lifts. Particle lifts, as Ms. Hall calls these items, are microscopic particles of evidence secured by adhesive collection lifters from the crime scene or from other items of evidence. John Metters retrieves several of these particle lifts, reviews them with defense attorney Griffin, and clears their admittance as evidence with Judge Clifton Newman. He then brings the items to Ms. Hall. Let me go back in time real quick. Are these the particle lifts you took from the seatbelt? 427? Yes, sir. My initials are also on each individual stub. And that's sort of like the officer has in the scene. You're now doing it in the lab, taking particle lifts, right? Correct. And particle lifts from... 420 lifts from 1920 and 21, which I think are the pants, the shirt, and the shoes, were these the particle lifts in 420 that you actually took? Yes, sir. Again, in the twos? Yes, sir. Your initials is on? Yes, sir. Now, 421, you said it was a little different, unusual. How, how did you take the particle lifts on this rain jacket? I believe everything was in, considered in Megan's custody while I was doing the collection, and then it was transferred directly to my custody when I carbon coated the Particle lifts, that's just a process where a thin layer of carbon is added. It allows the analyst to get better better images on the instrument. It doesn't do anything to add or remove GSR. Um, it, it just simply adds a layer, a very thin layer of carbon. So it was in my custody at that time, but prior to that, it was in Megan's custody. Metters next retrieves a large blue rain jacket and hands it to Ms. Hall. Is this the rain jacket you're describing? Yes, sir. Uh, my date, the date and my initials are here in the bottom cuff. So you looked at this rain jacket? Yes, sir, I did. And Megan Fletcher was with you? Yes, sir. And tell the ladies and gentlemen, how did you process? Where did you attempt to get particle lifts? Um, basically the entire garment. Um, we marked it off in different sections, again, where Megan advised me to collect from, and I repeatedly dabbed the particle lift across each section until it lost adhesive. These particle lifts? Yes, sir. You dabbed each one of these? Yes, sir. And what are these little things on here, these um, tape for the... I'm not sure what those are. Now, you did the outside of this garment. Correct. Did you do anything else to it? We also sampled the inside of this garment as well. So you actually turned it inside out and took samples from the inside. That's correct. Megan Fletcher was with you. Yes, sir. What about the hood? Did you test it or take samples from the outside of the hood? Yes, sir, we did. Did you take samples from the inside of the hood? Yes, sir, we did. I'm not wearing gloves here now. Not. But when you're examining all of these items, do you wear gloves? Yes, sir. Does Megan Fletcher, did she wear gloves? Yes, sir. Why? Uh, to make sure we're not contaminating it, as well as to protect ourselves from anything that may be on the garment. 
And as far as the um, contaminated, you you don't want to put any of your anything of you on that garment. Correct. It's standard practice for us to wear a lab coat, gloves, and if it's going to be processed for DNA later, we also wear a mask. And is that in a controlled environment when you attempt to get these particles? Yes, sir. Thank you, Judge. That's all. With that, Prosecutor John Metters concludes his direct examination of Jamie Hall. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Defense attorney Jim Griffin rises to begin his cross-examination of forensic evidence analyst Jamie Hall. Good afternoon, Ms. Hall. Good afternoon. You said if you're going to do DNA testing, you wear a mask. Yes, sir. Did you wear a mask? Yes, sir, I did. So, to your knowledge, some of these items processed for DNA after the GSR processing? It was my understanding that they had the potential for DNA analysis. Yes, sir. Okay. Let's just talk about how you go about sampling for GSR. And you talked about the shirt, and you said you would do the chest and sleeve on either side. How does that work? Do you lay the shirt out on a table? Yes, sir. So um, as I stated, the table is thoroughly cleaned, and then we place down parchment paper as well, um, sterile parchment paper, and lay the garment out on that so that we can access all the areas. And for the shirt here, I think it's item 19, did, did you just check on the two areas at the top on the chest side? Yes, sir. Unless we're given information from the investigative team or from an officer who submitted it that there's potentially a reason to test somewhere else, we only test the chest and sleeve area because that's the area that would be closest to the discharge of a firearm. And that's what you're looking for is, you call it gunshot residue, is that right? Yes, sir. It's microscopic, so you cannot see it. Therefore, we're testing the areas where we would expect to find it. And you would expect to find gunshot residue on, on the shoulders of a person who had recently shot a gun, I would take it. Yes, sir. That's what you're looking for. That's what we're trying to find out, yes. Right. And then you did um, some GSR testing of a seatbelt assembly and buckle and whatnot, correct? Correct. And uh, you did GSR testing of this rain jacket here, right? Correct. And shirt, shorts, shoes, and Officer Varnado, I think is his name, you received a sample from him and you just checked to be sure it, it was off. I didn't physically receive it from him, but he was the collecting officer listed on the sheet, yes, sir. Okay. And so he would have taken the sample, or whoever did it, would have taken it from Mr. Murdoch. And that would be item number 18, I believe. Slide item 18, yes, sir. And, and those are uh, the samples taken from Mr. Murdoch's hands, I take it? Yes, sir. Okay. Now, you can get gunshot residue on you uh, by just simply picking up a firearm, can you not? Those questions would be, be better asked of the analyst. I can only testify to that factually what I did. Okay. And the analyst here is Ms. Fletcher? Yes, sir. Jim Griffin displays Ms. Hall's analysis worksheets on the courtroom monitor. Let me ask you to take a look at your worksheet. It says that this was a brand Hanes beefy t-shirt. Yes, sir. And then um, particle lifts, right sleeve, right chest, left sleeve, left chest, correct? 
Correct. And it um, says description, paper bag containing one white T-shirt. Is that right? That's correct. Doug, if you'll go up, down a little bit more. Okay. And then, and then there it says, comment, small reddish-brown stains observed. Shirt had odor of laundry detergent. That's what it says, correct? Correct. Do you know what those small reddish-brown stains looked like? They looked like small reddish-brown stains on the shirt. Were they tested? I have no knowledge of what was done after I handled the object. Okay. Now, now below here it says sealed brown paper bag containing one pair of green shorts. Is that just an entry for another item? Yes, sir. That's item number 20. Um, the sheet is designed where we can put two items on one sheet. Okay. So when you received the shirt, item 19, was it in its own separate bag? In this case, it was, yes, sir. That's why I made the note that that individual item contained its own brown paper bag, while the description says brown paper bag containing. And the, sh and the shorts, those are green cargo shorts, and, and again, you, you, you lifted, it says right growing, left growing. Correct. And is, is it on the inside of the pants leg? or? It, well, it's on the outside of the garment, uh, down to you know a reasonable distance, uh, depending on the type of fabric, could depend on how much adhesive it has, um, depending on how large the garment is for the, from the person, a small garment versus a 3XL is completely yeah. different. It depends on how far I can, can go down on the garment. And to do this, you take a, a sticky something or another? And it's a double-sided adhesive on an aluminum stub um, within those little vials, uh, the bottom has a holder for that, and then we just use, we grip it by the bottom and repeatedly dab it across the garment. Until it loses its stickiness. Correct. And then do, do you do one vial per area or multiple vials? It's one vial per area listed. If for some reason I needed to use an extra vial or an additional vial, that would have had its own um, listing on the worksheet. Now, I tell you, you don't know what the results of, of your lifting were, do you? No, sir, I do not. You would then finish your work and send it up the chain? Yes, sir. All the items are either given directly to the analyst or they're securely stored in the trace evidence lab until the analyst takes possession of them. And, and this blue rain jacket, you said you, you put carbon on it or something? Uh, yes, sir. It's a standard practice for anything collected from an inanimate object. Um, we typically get um, a lot of debris, um, sand, dirt, or fibers, um, typically from clothing, and that can cause it to be a little bit more difficult on the instrument for them to get pictures of the particles. So the carbon just allows them to get a better picture of the carbon, I mean, excuse me, a better picture of the particles when they do their analysis, but it does not do anything to add or remove GSR. So you put the carbon down before you use your sticky thing? No, sir, that process happens after the collection. Okay, so cool. it goes into a small um, device and there's little rods of carbon that are rubbed against each other inside of the instrument to put the layer of carbon onto it. I see, but you're not putting carbon on the garment? No, sir. Ms. Hall, are you involved in any, any way with DNA processing? No, sir, I'm not. Okay. And so you don't know whether any of the items were processed for DNA? I have no knowledge of where the items went after they left my department. Okay. Thank you so much. You're welcome. No, sir. Thank you. Thank you. You may step down. Forensic evidence analyst Jamie Hall steps down from the witness stand, and Judge Clifton Newman excuses the jury for the day. After the jury leaves the courtroom, Judge Newman addresses an earlier objection by defense attorney Dick Harpoodlian. Uh, Mr. Harpudian, concerning the item that you were objecting to the testing, what, what exhibit number is that? Not the uh, t-shirt, not the shorts, not the shoes. And regarding that same um, 
number 226 rain jacket is the same item that Mr. Griffin cross-examined a previous witness concerning? Yes, Smith. Yes, concerning. The reference here is to the prior testimony of Michelle Smith, the caregiver to the defendant's mother, Libby. We covered Ms. Smith's testimony in previous episodes as she asserted that she saw Alex Murdoch enter his mother's home with a blue tarp-like object folded in his arms. In the defense's objection, Dick Harpoolian asserts that there is no basis to link the blue tarp-like object to the blue rain jacket which was discovered in an upstairs bedroom of that same home. Traces of gunshot residue were discovered on the blue rain jacket, and Harpoolian further asserts that allowing evidence related to the blue rain jacket would be far more prejudicial as evidence against his client than it would be of probative value in the case. Examined her extensively about whether she'd ever, first of all, was that rain jacket in his hands when he came in that morning? Two, had she ever seen him with that rain jacket? And three, did she, I mean, when she looked into the closet, did she know whether it was a tarp or whether it was a rain jacket? Was it the same color? She said it was the same color. That's it. And I objected to it because I thought that prejudicial outweighed the probate. Judge Newman recalls another objection raised by the defense during Ms. Smith's testimony. So I also recall Mr. Griffin questioned her as to whether it appeared there was a gun or different things in it. Jim Griffin, who conducted the cross-examination of Ms. Smith, rises to respond for the defense. No, no, Your Honor. I'd question her as to the tarp. This witness, Ms. Shelley Smith, has never, they never showed her the rain jacket. She's never identified a rain jacket. And when asking court here a photo of that rain jacket, she says, Your Honor, that is not what he had. And what's so prejudicial is they have introduced GSR, they, and they will introduce an expert tomorrow to say, it's covered with GSR, and, and that is extremely prejudicial. They have no evidence connecting Mr. Murdoch to that rain jacket, and, and the only witness they relied upon to get a search warrant, Your Honor, says that he came in with a tarp. I questioned her whether in the tarp it looked like there was a gun in the tarp. She says no. Um, she says he went upstairs, he came down, he laid the tarp open on his mother's retirement rocking chair and she leaves that day and she sees the tarp laid out and it's a tarp that looks like it goes over a car and now they're coming in showed her a, a photo of something in the closet that they seized and says yeah does that look like a tarp and, i mean does it look like what you saw she said well it's blue and now they're putting in gsr on an item in a house he doesn't live in on an item he's never had in his possession to the best of anybody's knowledge and that that's the basis of our objection your honor Prosecutor Creighton Waters rises to rebut Jim Griffin's objection. So, Your Honor, again, if you look at the testimony, excuse me, in its entirety, uh, Ms. Smith described, uh, she testified, of course, that uh, Alec Murdoch had showed up early in the morning, which was highly unusual. He was carrying what appeared to be a blue tarp balled up, uh, and then she was shown the picture in the closet where it's balled up and said, that looks like the item. Now, when it was pulled out and shown by them, she said, that's not what <clears throat> necessarily I saw, but she did recognize the balled-up item and the balled-up item in the closet, which the investigator said that's how they recovered it. She did identify that picture, and then if you put the two uh, chains of evidence together, that's what the investigator recovered that she identified. Now, certainly they can argue to the jury whether or not that's the right tarp or not, 
But she did say that that is consistent with what I saw, all balled up, which is the only way she saw it. Uh, again, this is also evidence that you know was admitted and has been extensively examined before the jury on. So certainly they can argue all these points to the jury, but there's enough of a chain that's been established uh, by the testimony for it to be submitted to the jury. Dick Harpudlian then rises on behalf of the defense to make a request of the court. Your Honor, might I make a suggestion? Sir, we're getting daily transcripts. Perhaps overnight you could, before they, I mean, the, the, the prejudicial piece is the witness are going to put up tomorrow, I would suggest. Perhaps you could look at that daily transcript of her testimony alone. And I don't believe, I submit, she said what he said, maybe what he wished he said. I don't believe he said, she said what he said. Your Honor, um, I think Mr. Waters is arguing this. I don't believe Mr. Meadows has a dog in Y'all just did. Well, good for the goose, good for the gander, but... Um, I thought... 520. I just thought maybe this is a simple solution. He's going to say this is what she said. We're going to say this is what she said. I think it's clear she never said that what was in the closet was what he came, he carried in. But, and of course, you have a court reporter that could, I guess, not type it tonight, but perhaps give you an audio of it. But it's a very simple question. It boils down to what she said about what she saw in the closet. Clearly, she said that when, when shown a picture, that's not what he walked in with. He walked in with a tarp, which he left over a chair and you know other than their supposition that he somehow brought that rain jacket in uh, and walled, wadded it up and threw it up in the closet that no evidence that there was a gun no evidence that anything was balled up in it they'd want to make a giant leap of logic it, this i mean it's not circumstantial evidence of anything so I, I would ask the court to perhaps look at the daily transcript somebody's got one right there um, and just look at her testimony, not all of it, just her, or even a piece of her testimony. What did she see in the closet in response to Mr. Meadows' question? Now, Mr. Meadows believes she said something, and Mr. Waters believes she said something different than what we think. The, the proof is in the pudding, as they say, or whatever. Uh, that's not really a, a legal aphemism there, but um, I would suggest strongly that maybe overnight look at it and then let us know what you think. Judge Newman also recalls a request by Prosecutor John Meadows. Mr. Meadows, you had uh, something. John Meadows makes one more brief point on behalf of the state. I think, and I guess to, to, on redirect through their investigator's transcript, I think they were asked, and I asked her if they had asked her about whether it could contain a firearm, and she said, well, I don't know. That was brought out, I think, which would uh, directly from their investigators who asked her about it. Um, so that, I think, made it relevant. Uh, they certainly thought it was relevant when they were interviewing her. Um, so that's why we do think it's relevant, and we hope Your Honor will let us keep going tomorrow with the GSR to see if there's anything potentially in the rain jacket that has GSR in it. All right. Okay, we'll adjourn for this day. And with that, we bring to a close day nine of the trial along with this episode of Jury Duty, the trial of Alex Murdoch. Please join us on our next installment as we begin our coverage of day 10 of the trial including Judge Newman's ruling on whether the prejudicial impact of gunshot residue evidence from the blue raincoat discovered in the defendant's mother's home outweighs its probative value. Also, check out the Crime Story podcast, Night Raid, wherever you get your podcasts. And, if you would like to listen to these episodes early and ad-free, head over to our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page. The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, Autobotulinum Toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. 
Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. You can find more information about this trial on our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page or at CrimeStory.com. Jury Duty is created and produced by Carrie and Tholis. It was co-produced, written, and edited by yours truly, Chris Terracone. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio. Trial audio is courtesy of Law & Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty.